I want you to help me, Dr. Lecter. You want to know how he's choosing them, don't you? I thought you might have some ideas. Why should I tell you? You get to see the file in this case. And there's another reason. Pray tell. I thought you might be curious to see if you're smarter than the person I'm looking for. Then by implication, you think you're smarter than me since you caught me. No. I know that I'm not smarter than you. Then how did you catch me? You had disadvantages. What disadvantages? You're insane. Coming out of retirement to nearly die to a huge virgin nicknamed the Tooth Fairy will put things into perspective for you. This is Spoiler. Nice, it's a long one. Welcome to Spoilers. It's December, so you guys know what that means, right? It's manhunting season. Uh, everybody <laughs> gather around to catch the domestic terrorist known as Santa this December. He's creeping into everybody's houses. So uh, we kind of got a theme going, uh, an unofficial theme for this December. Um, we had a patron movie uh, last week called Surviving the Game. Surviving the most dangerous game. Yeah, basically the most dangerous game in movie form uh, with Ice T. And it was goofy and bad awesome awesome at the same time so that was a big hit and uh so we got another patron request and we we're like yeah why don't we just stick with the theme it's literally called manhunt uh so i thought it was gonna be another fun romp <laughs> hunter. but it turns out manhunter it's a hannibal lecter secret hannibal lecter movie that i had never heard of um has anybody else heard of this movie before yes have you seen it no my uncle really wanted me to watch it like 12 years ago, so he let me borrow it, and I had it for like three months, and I never watched it. But I'm familiar with it. Um, I'd mentioned when we say we were going to do it, uh, that it was uh, a Hannibal Lecter story. Like the same story as Red Dragon, right? Yeah, it's Red Dragon, yep. Because mm-hmm. I remember that movie coming out. I didn't see it. Which is a book and a movie. Yes, it's the first book in the Hannibal Lecter, I guess you want to call it, trilogy. Has anybody seen Red Dragon? Yes. I like Red Dragon quite a bit. Do you like Brett Ratner, Brett? Is he the one who did that? I didn't know that. Mm-hmm. I like Edward Norton in that movie. Is that also like Ralph Fiennes or something? Ray, yeah, Ray Fiennes, yeah. Ray Fiennes, yeah. He plays the Tooth Fairy. Yeah, so I didn't know that going into this movie, so I was expecting like a cool, another dangerous game movie, but uh, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> after reading the description <laughs> on Amazon Prime, I was like, oh, wow, okay. Never heard of this movie. Uh, so it's a it's a Michael Mann directed movie as well, which I thought was very interesting because it doesn't seem like he would do sort of like an known IP type thing and kind of uh, make it his own. Uh, but I don't know, maybe maybe he's into that kind of thing. But um, I feel like it fits because you hosted Heat or because you hosted Thief, Thief, Mikey. Yeah, it's kind of yeah. like a theme. Yeah, very similar vibes. Yeah, crazy lighting, crazy soundtrack as well. Six. That brings us to uh, the main point why we're here is because uh, our patron, Zach Holmgren, he uh, was the one who chose this movie. And uh, do you know what level Patreon he is Any by chance? Anybody? Uh, Seventh level Thetan. Oh, no, it's something else. Never mind. I think he's a real human being. Real human being. Uh, he's one of the good ones, uh, but he chose this movie for us, and he has a question uh, that uh, he wanted to ask us, so we'll just go east to east, because I'm the weastest, so I'll go last. Uh, but Zach wants to know what your favorite movie score or soundtrack is. 
But then I would also like to know if you guys had seen Red Dragon, but I already asked that. You guys answered. So, um, favorite movie score soundtrack, East to West? That's me. Okay, so a lot to unpack here. This is Brett recording from Fort Wayne. Just your original question. I had seen Red Dragon, Science of Lambs. I've only seen part of Hannibal. I That was my favorite of the three books. I've read the three books, but it's like the worst movie. So, um, my favorite score, I didn't even have to think about this. My favorite score is another Michael Mann movie, which is actually my favorite Michael Mann movie, which is The Last of the Mohicans. I think that is the best score. It's so freaking awesome. Uh, you can actually lis- listen to it without even watching the movie. It's on Spotify. It's everywhere. Listen to it. I think there's a song called like Promontary or I'll have to find out what the name of it is, but it's famous. You probably heard it before. It's It's fantastic. And I have a soft spot for a score soundtrack in 1984's Ghostbusters. Um, that makes me happy. I think it's really cool. And that's that's it for me. Ghostbusters was pretty high up in uh, the 100 top article that I looked. Uh, I think oh, it was, was like, it really? Yeah, I think it was like in the top 20. Wow. Who's next? Hey, this is Josh from Goshen. <sighs> I took this question in a different direction mikey i hope that's okay but my favorite score is uh hickory over muncie central 42 to 40 oh, in the movie yeah. hoosiers green what's his name green something pappy i just want you to add this movie to the list of basketball spoilers where we have whistleblower and last <laughs> dance and catwoman and manhunter and manhunter uh <laughs> I will just give two quick shout outs because Brett did. Tron Legacy with Daft Punk. Ooh, that's a good um, one. Me and my brother-in-law, Josh, have had many a classic ping pong games to that. Super fun. And he beats me like almost every time, I will admit. Oh, but I'm sure. Good, the bad, and the ugly. Some of the songs off that I will just listen to unironically. There's such jams. So good. And kind of long, too. Love it. That's Jerry Goldsmith, and I love that. He also did the theme for Rudy, though, two of the greatest songs, movie songs ever. So good. You have a special reason for liking it, don't you, Josh? For liking what? The Hoosiers theme. Wasn't it played Concord Basketball? That was just a joke about it, the final score of the championship game. And nobody laughed. (laughs) Yeah, there's dry (laughs) jokes. Did you ever have to play with four people on the floor? No. Uh, My what? team's on the floor. <laughs> Did you ever shoot granny style in a game, Tappy? <laughs> Did you ever have Gene Hackman yell at you from across the court? Did Dennis Hopper smell of alcohol and try and coach the team at some point? <laughs> All that stuff All right. is right. semi-realistic. My bad. My bad. I, that went over. That air quotes joke went over my head. I apologize. All right. Well, this is Pappy recording from Kalamazoo, Michigan, like the Primus song. Uh, I'll go underrated, most listened to, and... Maybe favorite, uh, underrated, Phantom Thread. Thought it definitely should have won the Oscar. It's really good. Uh, Johnny Greenwood does all the PTA movies now. House of Woodcock is a banger. I thought it should have won over Shape of Water. It was my favorite uh, score of that year. Most listened to, I'd be remiss if we didn't mention Lord of the Rings on here. Yeah. I mean, that's yeah. my, like, I'm going to clean the house, put on the YouTube, like, six hour all of the music really the rings thing oh yeah i love it. like if shit goes down at work that youtube video comes on <laughs> how could you not accomplish tasks 
in the minds of Moria. All the time. <laughs> it's like in my like watched, most watched recently on YouTube. I can just find it there. Do you daydream about the scenes as you're listening and cleaning? Or like, what's the <laughs> what's the mood? What's going on inside yeah, the Pappy? I'll light a few beacons. Yeah, you know, <laughs> mood is right. For sure. Um, and then... This is kind of a little known one, but I was obsessed with the soundtrack to Bad Times at El Royale. Um, it's kind of like the uh, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood soundtrack, but I think it's a little bit better. And I like a lot of those like 60s hippies songs. And they both share the song uh, 1230, which was in um, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, but it's like really short in there. And I'm pretty sure Quentin Tarantino like had it more in the score and then like kind of like cut it down after you saw this movie bad times at a royale okay movie but banger of a soundtrack yeah those are uh pretty good picks there by all of you guys um i have some just normie ones i love the drive soundtrack that's a banger got real human being in that one uh Mm -hmm. we like it so much we made it a tier of our patron uh, Inception, I thought, <laughs> is also a pretty fantastic score. Uh, the Social Network is also awesome. And then I had Goodfellas to like kind of round it all out. I liked all those scores. And they all kind of like... Uh, when I think about those movies, I can I can hear the music as well. So it's like, that's what I associate uh, a really good score with. is just like being able to recognize the music uh, right off the bat. Good question there, Zach. Very good. Zach, I looked him up. He really is a real human being tier, so we appreciate that. Let's go. And he's a brand new patron. We pushed his pick up so it would fit in with the hunting men <laughs> December, like, the like he said. <laughs> One more thing. The theme of December. His pledge is 60 S-E-K per month. So he, it's, uh, is that Sweden? Um, 60 Zach. Very dumb American of me right now, but I, I don't know. To not know everyone else's. Come on. I mean, they know ours. Yeah, our currency is all over the the world. It's what business is done in. So, no offense to him, but come on. Swedish. Swedish, Swedish crone- krona. Yeah. Yeah, Zach. I I I can't go to Martin's and get this Swedish sec exchanged for <laughs> American dollars We're very killed easily. Killed by the strong dollar, Zach. This is. No good. <laughs> no, it's, it's great. great. Thank yeah. you so much for being a patron. Glad we were able to move you up. Too. Definitely. Yeah, for sure. Awesome question. And so let's get into the movie. So we start off very quick, like a uh, little quick scene before we get into the uh, the title card here. A light shines on, terrible. The, on the face scary. of a woman in bed. She wakes up and then we get the t- title card of Manhunter. Which I thought was a cool looking title card, but um, it's very 80s looking. And I, what did you guys think of that first little little scene? There? Terrible. Terrible, like scary or terrible? No, didn't did it not put a bad taste in your guys' mouth? Like what kind of movie is coming up? The three first shots you see aren't very cinematic looking, to be frank. One of them is like a stairs shot with extreme shaky cam. Granted, it comes into play later as a plot beat. POV. Yeah, but then they show like this weird sped up and slowed down, real grainy stuff with the woman like waking up slowly. I thought my time on like creeped me out. Yeah, it creeped you out a little bit. 
It lasts a long time. It does last a long time. My player was like messing up, is what I thought. Like I had errors in my playback. Listen, Thief was Michael Mann discovered cocaine. This is full blown Michael Mann like cocaine. Like some of the editing choices are just fucking insane and manic, but I love it. Let me, yeah, this is what I've been trying to say since the beginning. I want to, I think I'm pretty sure I said the same thing in the Thief podcast. It's like, if you don't know this is a Michael Mann movie within the first five to ten minutes, then you don't know Michael Mann. I, I am definitely not an expert, but like the really vivid blue color that he uses, and it's it's kind of like what I think you say it, Pap, all the time. Like the in the seventies, we don't know what pornography is, but you, like you can't define it, but you know it when you see it. That's kind of how it is with Michael Mann for me, Josh. I mean, if only he had broken into a bank for nine minutes. Then it would have been really cool, right? That stuck out as the worst part of the movie. I agree, actually. And I will admit, like I was saying again uh, earlier, him going up the steps is something that's like repeated four or five times. So I get why that's important for the story. So but. is the the face part. But one of you guys said it. If they would have just showed her that one time, like rolling over and then moving on. But like, hey, come on. How, how heavy <laughs> of a sleeper are you? Wait. Also, what is this car? This like car or something with three lights on top? That the f- very first shot of the movie. I was wondering what, that too. What is, is it? I don't remember it well. Mm-hmm. Is it like developing? Is it a developer? I was wondering that because it looks like it, like, a developer. Cuts, you know, like, is it develop like a film developer thing? No. Could it? Could he just have night vision goggles on? He splinter saw. <laughs> did you guys get this on YouTube like I did? Coolly. I got it on Prime. No, I got it on Prime. Amazon Prime. 47 seconds. It has three red lights. It's the first shot of the movie. Hold hold on. Let me... God damn now, it. Now I need to look, too. I can't take a picture of it because YouTube like makes it blank. Yeah. What? With your phone? I, I think it looks like an engine. What? Michael Mann is saying this movie's about lighting and the yeah. score. <laughs> it's, that's all he's showing here. That's, that's what he's I feel like Stevie would have liked the score. I'm sorry to linger on that. I just want to know what that object is. Okay. What is the thing at the beginning of <laughs> Manhunter? <laughs> Three red lights in Manhunter movie. If that doesn't find it, then who knows what else will. All right, what did you say, Josh? 47 seconds? Yeah. This is on the prime cut, so I'm going to... Hold on. I'm looking hey guys, it's, it's the first shot of the movie, so... Hold, hold on, hold on. Mikey and I, did, we're getting it. Oh, those? That's on his what car or something, right? What is that? <laughs> is that on the car? I have no idea what that is. Yeah. Film 101 class. Your opening shot needs to be... Needs to say something. I don't know how you could possibly know what that is just by looking at it either. You, you know? Yeah, I don't know like, what that is. <clears throat> it's I thought we dark. Were in the future. <laughs> <laughs> it's uh, it's used to hunt man. <laughs> That's a manhunter. <laughs> man All right. So, anyways, pass. We're we're gonna have to forget about that, even though it's gonna bug the hell out of me for the rest of the <laughs> yeah, podcast. Now I'm gonna be looking the whole time. Someone just like take a screenshot and post it to Reddit and be like, I found this in my dad's basement. What is it? (laughs) (laughs) Old school history. Uh, So right after that scene, we got the uh, former FBI criminal profiler named Will Graham, played by Will Peterson, known for CSI Las Vegas. 
he's retired after being attacked by a cannibalistic killer, Hannibal Lecter, played by Brian Cox from Succession. Graham is met by Crawford, who's played by Dennis Farina from Snatch, and he wants him back <laughs> in the game to catch a Obby. new freak. The new freak is on the loose, and Graham is our manhunter. We got a guy nicknamed the Tooth Fairy who's going around and murdering entire families, and cousin Avi isn't smart enough to take him down on his own. <laughs> this what Sandy Beaches. The Birmingham one was in the papers over a month ago. Second one in Atlanta was all over TV. Did you ever think about giving me a call? No. Why not? I quit, remember? This is like the inverse of Thief. It's like one last job. Except this is like, I gotta catch one last bad guy. Whereas in Thief, he's like, I gotta make one last score. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's a whole interplay with his wife futilely trying to talk him out of taking mm-hmm. the last job. But he has too many um, balls to like not take the job. Dude, his life is perfect. I have no idea why he's taking this job. He doesn't need money, <clears throat> clearly. He lives on the beach. He's got a nice family. Why is he getting back in the game? Yeah, Josh, you have a wife, you have children. Are you coming out of retirement to catch a guy targeting specifically families while still mentally dealing with the last freak you manhunted? If I was going through that stage in life, I would look to none other than idol Tom Brady. And, you know, you try to go back to your home life. Holy shit, what a take. He's the last Brady. one or two weeks. <laughs> He's living in Florida. <laughs> He's only been retired for three months, and he's like, I got to get back out there. Within the plot, though, Mikey, I mean, he knows that he has the skills to save a few families' life. Is there no other cop or no other FBI agent qualified to do it? He's good, man. He's good. He's real good. This guy, he, like Brett said earlier, the, the blues that Michael Mann uses is super intense. This guy basically lives in a Pablo Picasso blue period painting. Uh, it's just only mm-hmm. lit by moonlight and sunset. <laughs> He's got no net, no LED lights in this house at all. No, no, uh, no uh, artificial light at all. So. He's got a crazy looking house. that's just like all windows. And Michael Mann is just like lighting the hell out of this thing. And it looks crazy. Uh, it looks really cool. Uh, but He's talking to his wife and his wife is like, are you going to take this job or whatever? Blah, 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 all that stuff. And he's like, I'm just going to go there and check out the crime scene because that's that's his way of saying, I'm not taking the job, but I'm going to take the job. So, uh, Pappy, when he gets to this first crime scene, what is kind of his technique to get into the mind of the killers that he's chasing down? He is Jim Carrey on Jim and Andy, Made on the Moon, method acting a serial killer. Like He thinks about... The temperature change that they would experience from going into the house, going out of the house. The house would be quite cool to the quite cool. <laughs> <laughs> he's, I mean, he's very methodical and it's very much a, um, a, a procedural watching him sort of read through his notes. He's talking into a tape recorder. Sometimes he's talking like asking questions, you know, into the, into the ether. Like, why would you do this? Or why would he leave his saliva on the glass cutter, but it's super powerful in the way that it slow rolls that bloody ass room. Like that, 
there's so much blood in that room, like so many different like points of conflict, like the mirror's broken, and we get like two minutes of Graham like going over his notes, talking in the tape recorder before it like cuts over to the room what he's looking at. And it's it's rough. It's kind of interesting how uh that scene kind of parallels what he did on CSI for so long because he's literally he literally does all of that stuff besides like the screaming loudly like calling the killer a son of a bitch sick fuck guy <laughs> rap ass like that's like kind of part of his technique as well as just like screaming uh obscenities at the supposed killer and kind of describing what they're doing his performance is very mid what i dude I think he's really good at times, but like exactly like Mikey's saying, like when he's in the trees, like, you goddamn son of a bitch. Like, it's, just like, <laughs> yeah. it's like way too much. I like it. When night came, you saw them pass by their bright windows. And you watched the shades go down. And you saw the lights go out one by one. And after a while, you climbed down and you went into them, didn't you? Didn't you, you son of a bitch? You watch them all goddamn day long. That's why houses with big yards. That leads into like farther down the the line of this movie where I guess he takes it too far and he's hospitalized for uh, kind of losing his mind a little bit. Checking G chats. Oh, Brett figured it out. Holy Checky shit. Checking G chats. Breaking news. It's. The top of his van, it's a uh, 1974 Dodge something. But like, if you look at other vans that are that model, that there's no lights like that on them. So I don't know if that was something Michael Mann thought was cool, or if it's just a specific model. But it's the very top of his van. Custom. Uh, three weird red or orange lights or something. So. <laughs> All right. Yep. Uh, Dodge 1974 Dodge Tradesman. Well done, Brett. Nice. Thank you. It was gonna, it was gonna bug me. I tried to move on, but I don't have that in me. Brett, you're joining in the midst of, I think, a deep dive on yeah. William Peterson's character, and I just think anytime we're saying something that he's thinking or saying in the movie, his voice is definitely like this. He's like a very classic tough guy American detective, and he's gonna get to the bottom of the case. Like I, I mentioned, I might have mentioned off the pot. I, I, I know. A decent amount about like the original book characters and stuff, and Will Graham's actually one of my favorite characters. So he's actually pretty quiet. Uh, I, he uses empathy; that's like one of his best skills, and that's what he's doing. Like he's putting himself in the other person's shoes. Um, Do you think this is a good portrayal of that character? It's not bad. I, I was thinking. I really, really like Edward Norton's. Like, if you get a chance, watch Red Dragon. Um, he's a lot more subtle and understated. I think he's better, but. Because I thought William Peterson was like almost like too rageful. Right, like you guys were mentioning that when he's in a subtle, like introspective pocket, he's great. But he doesn't right. get to that next level effectively. Yeah, it's not really like his character. I don't believe he's he doesn't get super emotional. So um, it is kind of mm. surprising um, because he is subtle for a lot of it, and then sometimes, like you said, he just gets kind of loud. Is Red Dragon the same thing where Edward Norton is like pulled out of retirement for the job? Like, does it hit some of the same exact beats? I mean, they had a lot of the same dialogue, like, verbatim. Gotcha. The only, different, the only difference is the ending is way different. And I didn't really like the ending compared to, like, a, like Red Dragon, the book, is not a happy ending, really. And Red Dragon, the movie, is 
not super happy, but it's happier than the book. And this one's like, oh, happy. Josh, here's my how the we'll get to it later. But think of what happens to Tyrion Lannister in the show when he gets hit with the end that battle, and think about what happens to him in the book. That's how the difference is between his wound at the end in the movie and the book. Graham gets his nose cut off. No, he gets stabbed in the face. Oh. He gets like disfigured forever, basically. Yes, disfigured mentally and physically. Yes. Yeah, but he's retired now. So. <laughs> well, yeah, but yeah. So I, I, I think you guys are pretty dead on. Like I liked William Peterson in general in this movie, um, but again, every once in a while, it's kind of like he break character a little bit. So, so I agree with Pappy on that. Uh, the next guy we meet, his name is Freddie Lowndes. He's a journalist. Brett, you hate journalism and journalists. What's this guy like? <laughs> Oh, this guy's seriously, this is like a nightmare journalist for me. First of all, three movie club, I believe. This guy? Oh, he's the bad guy in Avatar. Stephen Lang. Oh, shit. Is it? I he doesn't look like it at all. He's Ike Clanton in Tombstone, too. So he's like snaky character in everything he's in. So, yeah, no, this is the worst type of journalist for me. It's like gotcha journalists. Uh, I'm going to sneak around. I don't care about your life. Like, he doesn't care that he's pulling, putting Will Graham in danger. By putting him in the paper. That's that I don't like that about journalists at all. And that's one of the main things that I realized when I wanted to be a journalist that I wouldn't be good at because I could never do what it takes for a story. I, I, I couldn't get over the, oh, the people have a right to know. Well, that might be true for some things, but this isn't one of them. He works for a newspaper called The Tadler. Like, yeah, that tells you everything. You yep. need to know about his journalistic practices. It's hard hitting real journalism, <laughs> uh, but I guess it's like implied that they have a a previous. Oh yeah, he mentions it. Yeah, so they a previous run in or whatever. That, I don't know. They've kind of he's kind of screwed him over. He like embarrassed him and humiliated him. He snuck into the hospital after he was almost gored to death by Hannibal Lecter, and like took pictures of him and even like lifted up his blanket. Took pictures of his dick. Basically, because he got like disemboweled almost, and that's just so wrong, and it was bad. It was like I I get why he hates him so much. So after that, uh, Will he goes and gets the help of uh, an old friend there, Brett. Well, who's his old friend, and what does he ask for help with? Are we talking about Hannibal? Yeah, man. I to me, Brian Cox is really good in this to make. You eat to, for you to even think that he's good in this, knowing how good Anthony Hopkins is, to me is a testament to how good he is. <laughs> he asked him for help on this case because you have, he has a unique perspective and, uh, you know, he's also a psychopath and he's kind of hoping to get him to help. I mean, he doesn't really want to be there, but he knows that this is his best chance to solve it. He knows he could probably solve it in six months, but they're trying to solve it in three weeks. Can you explain this, Pappy? Is this like, uh, I don't know, he wants to go on a bender, so he goes to visit his old college buddies sort of thing? Get him, like, warmed up? Yeah, they they mentioned, like, getting in the mindset or catching the scent, something weird like that, right? Well, all right, I'm going to say something kind of controversial. But he hated Brian Cox. No, 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 I think Brian Cox is awesome in this. I think... The character of Hannibal is awesome. And the two things I've seen him in, Silence of the Lambs and this. The way that he shoehorned into the story in both movies is so confusing. Yeah. And it feels like a contrivance. 
I don't understand how the Tooth Fairy gets in touch with Hannibal in this movie at all. Now, that being said, when it's Graham like interviewing Hannibal, Brian Cox, I, I think this version of Hannibal is awesome. Not better than Anthony Hopkins, but fucking awesome. Why does it matter how he gets into contact with him after you see him hack a telephone? Obviously, he has means to an end, right, Pappy? Because that's one of the best scenes in the movie. He doesn't hack a telephone. Yes, he does. Okay, but how, how? So he solves the case just by looking at the file and knows who it is? No, no, no. Brian Cox rips open a, a phone that doesn't have a dial pad, mm-hmm. and he calls an operator, makes up this story about how he doesn't have arms, so he can't dial. Using a stick of gum to do the, the dialing. Yes, and he is able to like get Will Graham's home address. And that's like a valuable weapon and tool for him. And that's the best scene in the movie. So later when you find out that he's been in contact with the tooth fairy, it's not like super shocking. Right. Mm -hmm. Well, and the other thing is too, is this movie is like really front loaded with Hannibal. Like he's in two of the first like four Mm -hmm. scenes. And then we barely see him in like the last, pack of the movie i think like the only thing we've seen we get with him like after the midway point once the tooth fairy shows up is like one phone call and like we don't really see him for all of that phone call but i mean i'm with you i think everything with hannibal is the best part of the movie like (laughs) there's one scene where it's like panning in his cell and it's the most michael mann thing of all time he says a purple light glowing in his sink like why is his sink glowing purple it doesn't matter (laughs) maybe it's like a dream or something but (laughs) i just this is like it's just so compelling Right, like the FBI detective talking this like brilliant serial killer, it just works so well in both movies. How carefully all the guards are taking all the precautions mm-hmm. with him is a really cool detail too. Mm. Yeah, it is pretty cool. Brett, who's the better Hannibal? Or who's the best Hannibal? Well, I mean, it's got to be Hopkins. It's got to be Hopkins. But I'm surprised actually that Mikey, who loves Mads Nicholson so much. Hasn't watched Hannibal. I've seen yeah. like, the first season, uh, and I thought it was really cool. But it's Anthony Hopkins. I mean, I I guess I'd have a different perspective if you know I was fifty and I I watched this movie, you know, in eighty six or whatever when it came out. But I was born in eighty four. I saw Silence of the Lambs twenty five years before I saw Manhunter. So it's Han. I mean, it's it's Hopkins. It's the most iconic character. He's in the movie for like 20 minutes in Science of Lambs. He wins Best Actor. I mean, it's just iconic. That's the same atrocious aftershave you wore in court three years ago. That's the same atrocious aftershave you wore in court. Yeah, so Graham goes to the first crime scene in Alabama. Well, I guess we should. I should say that like Graham wasn't asking who the Tooth Fairy is. He was trying to. He was trying to ask Cannibal, how is this guy choosing his victims? That's mm. like what he wanted to ask him and try and mm. get into the guy's mind that way. But Hannibal kind of like skeeved him out and was like, you're just like me. That's why you uh, are coming to me for help and all that shit. And that's why you went crazy back in the day when I uh, got you the first time. So he runs out of there and he's like freak. He's freaked out. He's, he's uh, about to throw up or whatever outside the prison. And that guy takes pictures of him again, uh, Lowndes. So he gets more pictures of him uh, in a precarious position. So Graham goes to that first crime scene in Alabama, the first murdered family, and he tries to get more clues. On the way there, he has like 
uh, a, a really weird <laughs> sequence of events go down on this airplane. Pap, what what's he doing, and wh- who's who are who are the people around him that he freaks out? <laughs> Listen, we've all been there. You're on your phone, you're browsing Reddit death gifts, you pass out <laughs> drunk on a plane, and the next thing oh, you know, boy. a stewardess is waking you up. I mean, I don't know. It's I I heard on a podcast that the way Michael Mann shot this was that he just bought tickets on a plane. I think it was the three watchables that mentioned this. Like, so he just shot this like gorilla style uh, mid flight. Um, gotta feel bad for the girl. It's pretty pretty shocking. Yeah, she's gonna be forever changed from uh, this experience. And then he just kind of wakes up and he's like, "Oh, my bad." Yeah, uh, and he kind of goes back to sleep. I, I do have a question. This might be like jumping ahead a little bit. I don't know if I fully understand what the tooth fairy does to his victims. Like, because I think in the picture there's like a reflective, like eyes and mouth that they have, and that's what he sees. Yeah later so does he like take the glass yes like like what's his like M- like mo he like breaks glass and puts it in their eyes and in their mouth and then like arranges them he you know he watches their films and stuff he gets like an idea of what mm-hmm. it's like and then he kind of stages it he puts them around something he, he props them up um he puts the reflections the glass in their eyes so it looks like you know the eyes are alive pretty much so it's just what he gets off on. We never see that directly. Like the only thing that we see is this like picture that he has. And a weird mm-hmm. recreation with like effects later. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That Will Graham kind of dreams about. Yeah, that I didn't really <laughs> I kind of looked up, looked away from that weird effect scene for a little bit and came back and was like, what the heck is going on? Uh Josh, you got some woods next to your house. I know you like to creep around there. Uh. What does Graham find when he's sneaking around in the woods next to the Alabama house? Uh, this is a really well shot and paced scene, I think. Mm-hmm. For everything that happens here, it has to be shown like visually. And we get Will Graham. He's deep in the mindset of this killer. And he knows that the killer likes to stake out the victims. So he's looking at these viewpoints from the horizon and he finds, I guess maybe like the best vantage point, Mikey, is that how you would say it is? And the camera does this really cool view of like how it would look if he just barely sneaks over the ledge and like pokes his head up. Yeah. And then there just happens to be a rope by a tree. And he's like, well, if he's around here, he probably climbed this and he climbs it up and he's like, oh, this is obviously the nook where he is watching this family for like, I hate to say it, Mikey, but he's up there in that tree just like jacking off mm-hmm. for like 48 yeah. hours watching them. For sure. I- <laughs> <Dude>. Definitely <laughs> a crime going. I have a question for you guys. This might backfire on me, but uh, the three of you, uh, how many of you could climb up that rope and get up the tree. No way. No. no. And I don't mean in high school. I'm sure Josh in high school could easily do it. And probably you guys. I, I'm, I was never a rope climber. Let's put it that way. It's like 15 feet up in the air. I think you guys, maybe you could do it if it was like your life depended on getting up there. But not if it was just like, this is a crime scene and maybe there's some clues up there. I don't think that would get the adrenaline pumping enough for me. I would have to be like knife to my neck 
right? Don't you think you could maybe make it up and then if be I like knew dead a, for two days? If I knew I had a new secret spot to jerk off, I might get up there on the first try. <laughs> <laughs> I might get up there. There you go. So say we all. Uh, but yeah, he's he's climbing up that tree. He's at the top of the tree, and he's just, again, screaming at nobody, just trying to figure his way through uh, this crime. And does he find, like, a symbol or something carved into the tree? Do they mention that or something? Mm-hmm. They do, but it's a way bigger deal. I don't know. It's not a very big deal in this movie. They only mention that it's, like, a symbol for Red Dragon, and then they make no other mention of it which again. Apparently is, which apparently is not true at all. It doesn't mean Red Dragon, but... Well, the Red Dragon is, like, a painting that he seems to yes. like a lot William as Blake. well. But they don't go hard on that either. Well, it's not called Red Dragon, Brett. But that's and you know what? This movie could do without even a lot of the scenes that they do have with this criminal. I'm a little confused why it's even a Hannibal Lecter story. Like, why is it even Red Dragon? It seems like it's not. <laughs> I don't know. I, well, I, I never read, read the books, okay. but it doesn't seem like it's wanting to stick so hard to an IP that it. No, 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 no. The Hannibal Lecter was not. A huge part of the first book or you know the red dragon is the tooth fairy he doesn't call himself a tooth fairy he's he wants to train in the book he's trying to kill people so he could transform into the red dragon he's got a huge red tag red dragon tattoo on his back he actually goes to the museum and eats the painting of William Ooh, Blake's uh, red dragon. William Blake painting? Mm-hmm. It's a watercolor. Yeah, the original watercolor. He eats it. Is this related to Kiss the Girls book? Possibly. I don't know. Is that... William Blake is freaking everywhere. Like, all the crazies love William Blake. One thing that's taken me back, though, from, like, Stephen Lang's incest stuff to, like, his whole inspiration for Red Dragon and the amount that they show him... Those are like my least favorite parts of the movie. And it just taken me back that Pappy is like, I think Will Graham stuff is weak. I don't know. Just didn't see that coming. I just, I don't know. I, I, I am kind of with you. Like, I don't think it does a good job of connecting that William Blake painting to why he's putting glass in people's uh, eyes. No, Like, I don't, it well, doesn't that's, that's make a any different, sense. That's kind of a different kink, I guess. Kind of a, maybe something Mikey would say. Um, that's yeah. like a different part of him. But the but whole the whole movie is about unraveling his psychology, and I cannot explain what we his don't get that. We don't get any of that. Is at all? Yeah, I have no idea. I actually liked him. Oh, he's awesome in this, but yeah, yeah he's uh, he just you're right. They don't touch on him very much. He's a, I mean, again, he's a humongous part of the book. And then when they reached redid Red Dragon in 2002, they got Ray Fine, so he's a huge part of the movie. So it's just weird. Again, I like the casting, but they don't. It's like eighty-five percent Will Graham, eight percent Hannibal Lecter, and like, well, that's not true. But there's a little more Tooth Fairy than that. I don't want any of the stuff that is like empathetic towards what Tim Noonan is going through at all. You just want him to be a freak with no no motivation, just a heartless killer, like uh, True Detective season one. He's a bad boss for the end creepy i thought that would have been cool i don't need to ever feel bad like oh he's finding love and he might change his ways until he sees joan allen maybe cheating on him like 
I know we're not there yet, Mikey, so I apologize, but I, I'm not getting much from that side plot at all. This man only has one motivation, and that's getting some ass. It's the only thing that's gonna <laughs> that's the only thing that's gonna keep these murderous thoughts at bay, apparently. Um But after the wood scene, we get Lecter's warden who's finding that note that he figures is from the Tooth Fairy, who uh ends up showing an interest in Graham. They take that note to Quantico to get it analyzed and all that stuff. Uh, there they find it to be like a key to communicating with um, Hannibal and the Tooth Fairy. Uh, they're communicating to each other through the personal section of Freddie Lounge's uh, shitty newspaper, The Tattler. So, Pap, what plan do these boys cook up with the fake advertisement? Uh, so I think their initial plan is to write like a fake advertisement and intercept it only if they can decode the message from Hannibal. Um, we find out later that the message is based on like Maryland statutes. Uh, and part of that like analysis scene in Quantico, like the message is ripped off and they're talking about how they're going to communicate with each other. Um, but Graham is kind of just getting totally unwound at this point. And like at, at one point during this meeting, um with like the capital behind him it looks really great but he's like i could like offer myself up as bait and this new character comes in dr bloom who's like barely in the movie but he's like i think that's not a good idea <laughs> it's just very like yeah, it was really out of nowhere it was so weird i was like who are you like he mentions dr bloom a couple times before that but oh guys though <sighs> there's a few characters like that that i feel like do actually add to the richness of this because in real life, it wouldn't just be the main character figuring out everything and making every big decision for himself. Mm -hmm. There's another guy at the police station who is pretty sharp and makes some of the connections. And then there's also cousin Avi, who's like helping push along the whole time. I Brett, did you not like these tertiary characters that seemed? Oh, no, I did. I, be I, liked I liked them a lot. They have depth to them, you know? I liked, like, oh, I like this movie all very, very much. I just, I was disappointed with the ending, but, because um, I thought they rushed it, but no, I I thought this movie played out pretty nicely, so. I fucking love everything about the, like, time crunch around analyzing that piece of toilet paper, right? Like, I think multiple times, uh, Graham is just, like, sprinting off of a helicopter or a plane as it's, like, barely landing and, like, diving into a car. And then, like, like literally running it between these two, like, different stations so they can do different tests on it. I think that is very Michael Manny. And he's got the time crunch because apparently this guy kills, like, every full moon or something. Well, they have an extra time crunch because when they're throwing uh, Dr. Lecter's room randomly, they find it, but they don't want him to know that they found it because he'll just find a way to, I don't know, they just don't want him to know that they're on to him. And so, tip off the tooth yeah, fairy. Yeah, tip off the tooth fairy, exactly. So, like, they said they can usually take about three hours or so, but after that, he's so smart, he'll start to get suspicious. Why is this taking longer? Do they find something? Blah, blah, blah. So, and, and I know it's like, I don't want to keep harping on this, but like, I can understand why the tooth fairy wants to contact Hannibal because in the Tadler, there's that initial article where Graham's consulting Hannibal on this case, but I have no idea 
how this nobody from St. Louis, Missouri can sneak a note into a maximum security prison through a book. Like how, how is that possible? It's such a big point of the movie, but it's never even explained. Yeah. Maybe just like the incompetence of the cops. I was explaining it in my mind that it wasn't his handwritten note. It was actually like a message through the newspaper personals. Yeah, that's what I- they did have the handwritten note there. So like, no, the message would be in the personals. They had to decode it to read the message in the personals. Right. The the message that Hannibal sends, but that he finds the actual physical note written mm. on toilet paper. Uh, you trade the forty thousand credits for the key, and <laughs> you get the. You get the credits. <laughs> I don't know, man. <laughs> it gets really good. confusing. But it's really cool, though, too. Like, the procedural stuff, like you're saying, Pap. No, it's they're awesome. Looking through yeah. mic- they're looking at microfiche stuff. They got different lenses with infrared crap going on. Uh, they're printing out. They're sending faxes on a plane, which I know is a big deal in 1986. That must have cost a fortune. Pretty, uh, pretty advanced for uh, the tech back then. But uh, I guess they like don't run that ad or whatever because they don't have the code. So Tooth Fairy will know it's fake. And then that fake interview that Lowndes conducts. He's molested all of his male victims and may be impotent with members of the opposite sex. Our forensic psychologists have projected, though I'm not sure, that he may have had sexual relations with his mother. <laughs> Graham saying all kinds of crazy shit to kind of entice the Tooth Fairy and try and get him to show his face calls him gay says that he banged his mom all this kind of stuff that i don't know is supposed to anger him and get him to make a mistake or something and mess up and uh, expose himself somehow but um it's just a fake interview just try to get attention from him uh and then they kind of also set up this uh shitty sting operation it kind of (laughs) just goes to hell immediately uh as soon as graham walks out onto the street he uh, he i I, the first guy he sees, he is, assumes that it's the Tooth Fairy, and he just harasses a, a jogger. Why? Why does it have to be a black dude? And then he he leaves him there, surrounded by police, doesn't explain anything. Why wouldn't it be? Because there's a huge, terrible thing in stereotype where black men get, like, if you're just black walking around, and there's, like, any other criminal that's black, like, the police will pick you up and question you right but in this case they're looking for a white blonde dude and it's still a black guy they pick up he's completely covered head to toe though i think the point was they were so way off that they are just harassing this random black guy like yeah i mean the guy's like what are you guys doing i just got mugged by this guy (laughs) graham is super on edge let's give him benefit of the doubt here yeah graham doesn't explain himself he just walks away yeah (laughs) Yeah. he could have said sorry he could have said my bad yeah that's true that's true he was kind of a dick about it he's pissed this guy isn't a serial killer (laughs) god damn it why didn't you kill random people (laughs) you're wasting my time by jogging on this street man (laughs) so there's more journalism here brett you hate journalists and journalism what happens to our guy freddy uh in the parking lot where does he end up in the parking lot i I don't know if he's using ether or formaldehyde or whatever that stuff is but he puts him out there we go chloroform not formaldehyde um and then he takes him to his the same i think it's the same house that manny or whatever lives in and scarface 
Did you notice like, like all that 80s Miami decoration? This is a bizarre house. He's got a whole fake wall. It's a poster that he can just rip through. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> There's another house that's got that weird stuff too. But yeah, so he gets taken there and this is this was pretty cool. I like the real fear. Like he knows that he doesn't want to open his eyes. They do a really good job of that in Red Dragon 2. Uh, the, the movie played by, um, oh my God. Philip Seymour Hoffman, he's really good in that too. Um, he doesn't want to see him, but you know, now do you see? Do you see? He's like trying to get him to, he re- has him recant his thing, which I mean, this is pretty dirty, I guess, but it's, you know, they're trying to catch him. So, uh, Will Graham played dirty, I guess, but so he gets him to recant and then he's trying to, he actually makes him think for a second he's going to let him go, but I don't know if they, Show they don't really show what he does to him in the in the movie, but I think in the book and the other one he bites his lips off and then sets them on fire. Um, so not a very good way to go. And he has a tape recorder on him when he rolls on the wheelchair. So pretty bad. He ends up dying later at the hospital, but it's implausible. Though. Why you set a guy on fire? With, like, how carefully they're looking for clues, he provides a chair and duct tapes this man, sets him ablaze, and pushes him towards the police station. So, in in essence, the main bad guy is, like, 30 feet sneaking around from the police station at this point. The thing that drives me crazy is that he hits record and then says, go. Like, he put his voice on the tape. <laughs> like, dude, you just left yeah. a huge fucking clue, dude. <laughs> Three, go two, one, go. Like, spoilers <laughs> does. Idiot. <laughs> we criticized, like, the opening shot of this movie, and maybe fairly so, because none of us knew what it was, and an internet search was very hard to find what it was. But the opening, like, reveal shot of the Tooth Fairy slash the Red Dragon is a 10 of fucking 10. That shit is amazing. Like, he's wearing a shirt that has, like, Pop-Tarts on it. <laughs> or something i have like no idea what that is he's got this big like mobile mobile thing mm-hmm. over his head like the mask yeah. that he's wearing really like, cool it's pantyhose just got pantyhose over hides pantyhose, nothing yeah. yeah exactly it's dude it's so good like and i i don't know i don't know if we've talked enough about francis or uh tom noonan but he is amazing Do you guys know him from anything else i don't really know him he's in the robocops um synecdoche yeah, what is he's Twelve Monkeys. Twelve Monkeys. Yeah, I didn't watch that show, but I've never heard of him. But yeah, he's a damages creepy looking guy. I thought he did good in this movie. He's six five in real life. He's supposed to be six seven in this movie. He seems really tall. But just even the way they slow roll it, right? Because like Stephen Lang is trying not to look at him because he knows he's fucked once he sees his face. Yeah. He's like, open yeah. your eyes or I'll staple him to your face. And then Stephen Lang passes out. He's in Heat. I don't know what he is in Heat, but he's he plays a guy named Kelso. He's in Last Action Hero as a character Ripper and himself. Before me, you were a slug in the sun. You were privy to a great becoming and you recognize nothing. You're an ant in the afterbirth. Is your nature to do one thing correctly? Tremble. But fear is not what you owe me. No lounge. You and the others. You owe me Oh. 
Crawford tells Graham uh, later on that they cracked that coded message from Hannibal Lecter. Uh, and it gives the Tooth Fairy the home address of Graham through this coded message in the personals ad or whatever. So Graham freaks out. He flies straight back home and he makes sure that his uh, wife and kid is uh, safe. Uh, but his wife has a really scary experience where she's kind of sneaking through the house. Uh, there's people surrounding her. I, she thinks she's surrounded or whatever. And she goes outside and she's like scared by the goofiest sheriff in Florida or wherever they're from. Uh, he's, this is, this guy is like the worst actor in the whole movie. He's, his line delivery is awful. Um, but they all get moved to a safe house and, uh, Graham tells his son why he ended up retiring the first time from the FBI at the supermarket. Um, Josh, (laughs) you have a wife and kids. Are you going to tell your firstborn son about your mental breakdown, uh, in a, in a supermarket and why you retired? Man, what a courageous kid. He's like, he read about his father's mental breakdown in a newspaper and just was waiting for a good time to talk to him one-on-one about it. Like, that's some good shit from that little kid, right? He's raised right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I guess if I have a mental breakdown, yeah, I'll explain it to my kids, Mikey. If you want to get weird, <laughs> sure. I'll explain, I'll explain it to him. I don't know. It's like he's telling sort of... I, well, the kid asks, like, well, how did he kill the people? It's like, why are you asking this? He also says that he knew Hannibal did it as soon as he saw, like, a book that had war wounds in it on his shelf. That's cool. That's cool. I mean, listen, we all participated in Death Gift Fridays on this podcast. Like, you know what I mean? Like, we could all mm-mm, be. Mm-mm. Uh, every single one of them. We all loved it <laughs> no. so much. No, we didn't. That, you know, it seems, <laughs> That's a like, false very flag. circumstantial. That's a false yeah. flag. That didn't happen. There's some things about the movie that I wish there was like a scene of. Like I wish there was a scene of Lowndes getting like his his I mean, they show like him getting his his lips bitten off by uh the tooth fairy, but like they don't show anything. They just kinda like show their faces meeting. But like I would also have liked to seen a flashback or something of like Hannibal and Graham in this situation. I, I thought it would just add a context it's different but the movie red dragon literally starts with him catching uh hannibal lecter now that's probably because they want to get anthony hopkins in the movie more and the relationship's a lot different in that movie than it is in this or especially in the book uh, but it's really cool you should watch it's on youtube it's like four minutes long yeah i just wish there was like just more gore and more like context into like yep how Graham and Hannibal know each other. Did Folgers pay to be the family's favorite coffee, you think? Or is that I just... I was going to ask you, like, what, what do you do what in is that situation? Like, a lot of Kellogg's. <laughs> Cheerios, Special K. Like, it just brands like, right in your face that whole that, scene. They, they had to have. It's distracting. Or like gorilla filming, so... More gorilla filming, you think? I don't know. If, like, Folgers and Cheerios got that for free, good on them. <laughs> That's freaking crazy. Didn't work out too well for JFG, whatever that is. Yeah. Graham, he's like, this isn't going to work out with you guys here in the safe house. I, I got to send you farther away. So he sends them to Man- Montana because nobody ever gets killed in Montana to go visit the wife's dad or something. Um, Pap, here's where we meet our freak. Where does he work? What does he do? 
he seems to be like decently high up. He's some sort of supervisor, some like infrared supervisor or something at a photo and video development house, I guess. I'm not super familiar for like how this worked. This guy works in the industry. Right. He's got a union job. He's doing Union it. job. And it's like <laughs> he's a, really doing it. He's got a podcaster's face. He won't <laughs> let a blind woman even touch his face. He's like, listen, that's going to ruin things for us. I can't let you do that. Um, and yeah, he meets, uh, what's the character's name? Reba, I think. We don't really get a lot of her, but there's uh, a love interest here, and she's perfect for him. She's she's blind. <laughs> and kind of a whore. Whoa. I don't know if there was a love interest. He just kind of like takes the chance to give this woman a ride. I don't know if they've ever interacted before this this meeting here. I don't know. It seems like a weird uh, work relationship. I mean, she says that she only wants to have sex with him if he loves her, Brett, but I don't know. I, have you ever had a date take you to pet a tiger? That'll do it. You know, you're in love after that. Had a, had a date pet my tiger? No, I definitely not. That's a really cool date, though. I'll give him that. By the way, just uh, so JFG doesn't get too much crap, that's actually Riley Foods Company, which is still around. Uh, I mean, you guys don't know JFG mayonnaise, but that they, was mayonnaise. You know, they're not a, oh, no, it's black. coffee. It's coffee. I don't recognize any of these brands actually, so uh, I'm not going to say any of them. Oh, Presto Self Rising Cake Flour sounds familiar. Um, they're not like a humongous company, but they do take in about $300 million roughly revenue a year. So they're doing all right. Don't feel bad for JFG. And actually, uh, Lee Harvey Oswald worked at Riley Foods um, before he assassinated Kennedy. So oh. the more you know. I don't know why you guys are talking so much about brands. I'm just over here. Well, I have this fresh French loaf from Martin Supermarkets. <laughs> owned by Spartan. I bet it was pretty affordable, too. It, they're owned by Spartan, but it's very affordable, and they have fresh bread daily in the bakery, along with wow. some chocolate-glazed donuts to die for. But uh, anyway. They also have the best. i never seen anyone else sell it. They have, uh, oh my god, corned beef, but it's turkey. Corned beef. Turkey beef. What? What are so you good. talking Tur- about? Turkey, <laughs> Turkey pastrami. There we go. <laughs> Turkey pastrami. It's delicious. I was looking for that. What I is that? that? Martin's has it? <laughs> I can't find it anywhere. Well, now you know. The more you know. All right? <laughs> All right. The date scene, though. I I can see both sides. On one hand... I feel like it goes on too long. It's 10 uninterrupted minutes with the Tooth Fairy slash the Red Dragon, like getting to know him. That feels like a bit much. See, incels aren't so bad, right? He's better like in and out. Are you saying like he's better in small doses or what? I think so. It's just a long time. It's like a long tangent to have like going down like just 10 minutes of his life because it's not just a date. And what if it didn't go well? Was he going to kill her? How does he know the tiger guy? That I didn't understand that at all. That I don't remember. Now, in a Michael Mann movie, seeing her pet a real sedated tiger, terrifying and awesome. Like, I feel bad, a little bit bad for the tiger, yeah. but that looks super cool. Teeth are huge. She sticks it, her hand in its mouth. I know. That's crazy. This is what I was talking about earlier, though. There's no reason to have a stretch of the movie that's like, 
society's treating this incel bad, and if he only had love from a woman... Mm. I'm with you, Josh. His lip is fucked up, so of course he's driven to be a serial killer. I, like, no. I agree <laughs> that if, if they're not going to give you the whole backstory of his life and the whole thing of he actually does fall in love with her and he wants to not kill anymore, that's the reason he goes and eats the painting. He's trying to get rid of the dragon and the demon in him. But if you're not going to show any of that or tell us any of that, the tiger scene is just maybe a means to why she sleeps with him. How does he get the demon in him in the first place? Honest question. Oh, like, you where, don't want to know. Where does it come from, Brett? <laughs> you do not want to know. His family <laughs> abused him and his grandmother was very, like, unbelievably sexually abusive and sexually shamed him his whole life. See, that shit's interesting. Because I think there are ancient stories in human history about how entities, like actual demon type things, can follow people around, and especially people that experience trauma, and whether that's like a PTSD thing or that's like actual spirits, and how this movie deals with that, I think is actually pretty cool, Brett. Like, don't they leave it just vague enough? Yeah, yeah, for this, for sure. I think in the main story he's probably more like a split personality but yeah that's that's kind of cool i guess if they're going to be vague about it then that is a good a good thing a cool thing it's not as cool as uh his o face as she's petting the tiger like it cuts to oh, him bro. Against <laughs> that's what he was doing in that tree that tree too is the same face holy shit i'm going to come yeah but like they have such good sex that he considers not murdering this woman afterwards. So he's taken aback. He's like rethinking this whole family murdering thing for like five seconds after having sex with Reba. What a good guy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> not all men. <laughs> I never got that I was supposed to sympathize with him. I'm just more like terrified for Reba during that. She's so vulnerable. That'll come. Yeah. So will he later. Well, it only lasts about one day because he sees Reba get taken home by a a different co-worker like the next night. And then he goes and murders that guy and kidnaps Reba and takes her to her house. So we're getting close to the end game here of Manhunter. Brett, yeah. Graham figures out how all of these murdered families uh, are connected. What is the one thing that's connecting them all? Uh, he realizes that he must work for the place that does the movies, the home movies. Because uh, he came with bolt cutters, but he didn't use them um, because Will Graham realized that in the video he saw, one of the doors he was going to sneak into had a padlock. But when he got there, it was a deadbolt. Um, And he also, in the other one, he knew that there was a glass sliding door, but he wouldn't have been able to see it anywhere from the street, because that, that had a big backyard, but I don't know if he was watching them as much as the other one, but... So he, he was prepared, and that just got him thinking about how... He kept saying something about the two women. I don't remember what... I don't know what he was talking about. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? They have a bloom. A bloom Bloom, on. yeah, yeah, yeah. What's that? What does that mean? Psycho serial killer bullshit talk. <laughs> <laughs> These two women are bloom... Uh, what I loved, and I think there's another 10 out of 10 visual here, is it shows 
our main character detective from the back watching two TV screens. And he's commenting about how he killed the dog, even though the dog didn't have a leash or it didn't have a collar. Yep. And and then he says the cat and the cat part of the tape plays. And then back on the right screen, there's some other clue about like a padlock or something. Mm. And like just the editing of that and the way it's like slowly zooming in is very good movie making. I love that scene. The music is amazing during that too. I know Zach, you asked about our favorite soundtracks. I think it's called like Graham's theme during this part, but just the way it, it builds. And so much of this like music has been like, weird or like you know like synthy and dark and then like this part is like just like this major key building like score it sounds like so like cathartic as he's figuring it out but you are right pap it's a stretch with like he goes from mirrors in the eyes he's like so he likes to look at himself in the mirrors because he likes vision and mirrors and pictures and PJ's video store on County Road 13 in Elkhart, Indiana classic (laughs) Like, you know what I mean he slowly gets there do you like that or not I I like it because then it's like backed up by hard evidence he's like look at the canisters and at first the one cop's like well it's from this regional one he's like no i just happen to know that they distribute it out peel it peel this off the evidence and look underneath it he's so cocksure about that mm-hmm. i fucking love how uh cousin what's his name cousin abby from snatch or whatever yeah he, he's like <laughs> He never misses a moment to like fire up some sort of aircraft too. He's just like always like oh, yeah. <laughs> ready to keep the go jet on standby with some form of transportation. Like he doesn't even need to like hear the rest of it. He's just like get this and this and this. We're on our way to St. Louis. It's the garden of Starbuck. Cans. What cans? The tapes were transferred from home movies. Where's the packaging? The films came. There's films of the families in the document storage. Find them. You got them? Are there any labels? Leeds Can, Gateway Labs, St. Louis, Missouri. The Jacoby label will say the same thing as the Leeds label. Gateway Labs, St. Louis, Missouri. Who processed the Jacoby film? No. Bob's photo store, Birmingham. Stores send them out. Have him peel the top label back. Is there a label underneath? I want to chop around the roof in three minutes to Meg's Field. At Meg's Field, I want the Learjet prepped and a plan filed to St. Louis. Yeah, so Graham, like Brett said, pieces together that all of these families are getting their shit worked on by the same uh, film house. And this one employee has touched all of the the, uh, murdered families' tapes, so... They narrow it down to Dollar Hyde. Dollar Hyde is apparently Tooth Fairy's name. Crazy name. Crazy last name. So they get out to his house as quick as possible where they run into where Graham like sees Reba struggling 
with Dollar Hyde inside the house, and Dollar Hyde has uh, a, a shard of glass right up to Reba's neck. And what happens next, Brett? How does uh, Graham take out Dollar Hyde? Not sneakily. No um, stealth whatsoever. Just, no, he runs up. It kind of reminds me of the the scene in Jaws three where they're in the, the glass and the sharks slowly coming at them. That's uh, Jaws three hundred episode three hundred. Um, it's so weird that we laughed out of the room yeah. when we saw that shot. <laughs> Why is that suck? But the shot with the cop car just prior to that driving through the woods is so cool. Is it the soundtrack? Iron Butterfly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Okay, okay. And so, and then he just goes and jumps through the window, which I think we've talked about in this pod before. It's not a good way to do anything unless you kind of like want to die. Not a viable um, option. No, it's not good. And then he gets shot immediately, and then Tooth Fairy blows the crap out of you gotta be strong by the way to shoot a 12 gauge shotgun with one hand and not recoil so uh i don't know if he's just really strong or if that's just kind of poor movie making but he destroys some old cops and then shoots the ketchup for some reason (laughs) and not yeah that was weird (laughs) graham (laughs) totally misses graham and hit nails all of the condiments on the floor um and then Graham lights him up with all the bullets. I think he's still using the special bullets, which... I was going to ask you about that, Brett. Do you know? Prob- I don't know much about those. I did it like a, a very little research on it. Like, I don't believe there would have been blood spatter come out the back of him. But that's... I mean, it's it's a 44... I think it said a 44 Magnum, so it's a very, very powerful gun. It's supposed to like explode once it hits its target, right? Yeah. They did not come back into play. That was stupid. Yeah, that I totally forgot about that. That guy is... nothing happened. I think it's just supposed to be that like this. That, that's how much of a tank the Tooth Fairy is. Yeah, you can take five of these. Just still kind of stumble around. Which as he's getting shot, that looks fucking cool. Just like the way that's edited with like the cuts and everything is kind of like he does this weird jolt every time he's hit. He gets hit. You like that? I thought it was cool. I don't. I mean, at this point, I'm like all in on the movie. It's weird. But, like, I mean, the music I said, like, Iron Butterflies, was it in Agata? In Agata Vita. In Agata Vita. Like, that just goes so hard. In Agata Vita. You don't like it, Josh? It reminds me of the beginning when it shows her in bed, slow-mo, like, very few frames per second. And then like regular speed and then slow like just nonsensical. Yeah, full on like Coke editing. Mm-hmm. Fair enough. The only problem I had was the song choice, I guess. I just thought it was very loud and kind of like overbearing, but there was another song earlier that was sounded very eighties. Oh god, yeah. Granted, this is an eighties movie, but for what was on screen, it just didn't feel right and really stuck out to me. I can't remember what was happening, but I just thought there was a couple weird song choices in this movie. Even though the soundtrack is good. Uh, the original music is pretty good. But uh, yeah, after that, Graham gets medical attention and then like just retires. Uh, not much else happens, I don't think. But um, final thoughts? Anything else before we go into trivia here? 
I had a couple uh, final thoughts. One yeah, was go that, ahead. I got a few things to come back to later. Okay, yeah. One was that, like, for some reason, the Chicago Cubs catch a totally unnecessary stray. Yeah, one what's that about? <laughs> <Dang>. <laughs> the parking lot. Cubs lost again. Harsh. The Cubs were good in the 80s. Chicago, Salome. Listen to sports. Uh, the Cubs lost. I don't, okay, I don't understand. We can play the clip, but it's this sentence that Hannibal says. If this pilgrim imagines he has a relationship with the moon, he might go outside to look at it. Have you ever seen blood on the moon like that? It appears quite black. If one were nude, it would be better to have privacy for this sort of thing. What does that mean? I think that he's up in the tree watching them. So he's nude? Probably. Okay. It's up there jerking it. But mm. that's like almost verbatim what they say in the other movie, so I'm guessing it's probably verbatim what is said in the My book. My brain just can't understand that sentence for whatever reason. I'm just so confused. He's a lot smarter than any of us, so. Right. Does that have something to do with maybe he'll pick a victim that has a lot of privacy and maybe he can do his ritual outside in the full moon, whereas his previous killer, too, he's kind of been confined? Eh, possible. That makes sense. It is. It's very cryptic. It sounds poetic when he says it, though, right? <laughs> but then he's like, "But you already thought of that." And Graham's like, "Yeah, of course." <laughs> Wait, what? <laughs> I love William H. Stryker. Second. You also don't get to hear Brian Cox use his Scottish-ish accent very often, so that came out a little bit in this. This is Bob Greer of Blaine and Edwards Publishing Company. Doctor Bloom asked me to send a copy of the Psychiatrist and the Law to someone. Martha never sent me the address and phone number. Well, I've got to catch Federal Express in about five minutes. I'd be immensely appreciative if you could pull it out of a Rolodex for me. I, I don't see a Rolodex. I'll bet you has a call caddy right next to a phone. Yeah. Well, zip that little pointer right on down to the letter G. All right. The name we're looking for, last name Graham, the man the book is supposed to be sent to, a Mr. Will Graham. Federal Bureau of Investigation, 10th and Pennsylvania, Washington, D.C. Now, I'll bet... It has his home address there, too. 3680 DeSoto Highway, Captiva, Florida. Thank you so very much. That's always cool. I mean, I love Brian Cox, like, a lot. I think that's all I had. Other than the wife is, like, an insanely supportive person. You know what I mean? Like, she explicitly tells her husband she doesn't want him to do this. Puts the whole family in danger, and she still, like, kind of, like, has his back. And the sex scene that they have together, he just is repeatedly licking her neck. As she holds his head, it's very uncomfortable. Is he doing a serial killer like method acting at that point? Is that why he's, he's doing just getting that? into it? Yeah, <laughs> he's tooth fairying her. This is how the tooth fairy would come. Dude, <laughs> do this. <laughs> I don't have anything. Do you guys have any last thoughts? Yeah, I have a few things. I'm probably gonna talk way too long. So if you have anything, Josh, I had one more real quick. Go uh, ahead. When Graham is like outside of the house. Well, a couple okay, a couple times Graham like his line delivery is really weird. Like when he's helping the kid with the turtles, like he doesn't read the line right. He's like they can't dig uh, dig under here, and it's just very weird. But <laughs> at one point when he's outside the house, he goes, "Stop it, stop it!" <laughs> it's like the second "stop it" he says is so weird. Like it'll make more sense once we play the clip, but it's it's just very weird line delivery. Stop it. Do you guys mind if I tell you the ending of like the book slash the movie real quick? Oh, I'm so glad this isn't like a Brett death segment. Yeah, go for oh, it. Oh yeah, no, they're they're 
I, I don't know who's dead or not. So in the book, he kidnaps her, takes her back to his house, and then he was, he's going to kill her, but he like really does love her. So he is going to do a suicide pact with her, and he, but again, he can't kill her. So he's already got a dead body there from somebody he killed that he got in an altercation with. So he shoots that guy, like a, makes her think that he's dead, and then he sets the house on fire, and then he leaves. So when they the cops get there, they see this burned up body, and she says, oh my God, he killed himself. So that's it. Case is over. He's dead. And then, so Will and his family go back to their house, and he, the tooth fairy shows up. He stabs Will in the face, and the wife ends up killing him. Um, he's grossly disfigured. Um, they actually mentioned him in the Silence of the Lambs book that he's a like pretty much a raging alcoholic. He never mentally recovered, and more than likely, he doesn't have his family anymore. So it really did a number on him. Wait, why? Be- why? Because he just never recovered mentally from it and became an alcoholic. So I, again, I, that's more of you kind of make up your own mind, I believe. The wife. Dang, but the wife was cool. I mean, again, maybe, but it's not, remember, it's nice. not the same. What a badass. Not the same person. So, but yeah, she kills him. I want to know more about the wife. I know. She seems cool. And actually in the book, that is his stepson. So in the movie Red Dragon, they actually do something really cool, in my opinion. Um, he's got the kid with a gun, the tooth fairy. The same thing happens. He sets the house on fire. He fakes his own death. And he's got a gun to his kid. So uh, earlier in the movie, Will Graham read some stuff from his grandma, who was, again, abusive. So he starts saying that stuff to his son because his son actually wets himself. So he's like, you nasty little worm. He like starts saying, you're disgusting. So he gets Francis to like flip out. And then he gets shot. And then the wife kills him as well. So that's a slightly happier ending, except the kid <laughs> is going to be traumatized forever. But so that's all I have for that. And I have two quick things. One, the bloom of the woman is what he says. It, I'm not going to read this whole thing. It's a reference to the sexuality or nurturing the bloom of a woman. It's from some author. It's a literary thing. Th- that and just like it, everything he's looking at is enticing. It's colorful. It draws attention. Like he's talking about her when she's in her bikini and she's obviously pu- uh, pretty. And, you know, they're showing it says sexual. It's like a bee's drawn to the sexual organs of a flower. So like he's drawn to her. That's what he's talking about. It probably like fits back in with that painting too. And that artist and people who have like critiqued the painting have probably described the woman in that way. And then he's like, yeah, seeing that in his creepy photography job or whatever the hell that dark room is. But yeah, go ahead, Brett. And the very last thing I have is two. I, I looked up. Someone said, how did the tooth fairy get the letter to Lecter? Now, there's no definitive answer, but the best answer I see is some guy says two ways I could see it happening. One, he sent a letter to Hannibal pretending to be his attorney in which they couldn't open it without permission. Or two, Hannibal still consults with other physicians. Anything they sent would be covered by doctor-patient privilege and couldn't be open. So, like... Oldest trick in the book. (laughs) Yep. Classic. That's all I have. I don't like those... Those uh, options given to us uh, of how they were communicating, but like I guess that makes sense. Does the movie have to explain everything, though? No, but I want some more 
I don't know, scenes or something in this movie. This I feel like it's just... That's why I want to kind of now watch Red Dragon, because it sounds like it, it covers more... And at least has more gore and is scarier, I guess. Here's my like specific problem with it, is that Michael Mann grounds his movies in you know what it's actually like to be a cop. Or and maybe not I'm sure a cop would watch this and be like, no, that's not how it actually is. We would never do XYZ. But like is there's so much like attention to detail and like the procedural nature of it. It's just like that's just so glaring to me. And I don't I don't know, it's just so I maybe mean, I'm seeing this like from like expecting Hannibal to get worked in more because Hannibal wasn't, you know, such a big character back then, but I just feels like a way to get like a really cool character more involved in the story. Yeah, or it seems like we're trying to solve a mystery, but we already know who the suspect is. So it's like I I don't need or like I would rather see like more background than like try to find more clues uh as to we already know it's Tooth Fairy and all that shit. I don't know. Yeah, but you could say the same thing about Silence of the Lambs, and that's like a masterpiece. So, like, you know who Jane Gum is pretty early on. So, I mean, it's not like a whodunit. I get that, but it's just a different way you get to see the perspective of multiple people, I guess. So, And you wouldn't get that scene with William Peterson raising his hand to the window as if he's touching hands with Francis Dollarhide from far away. Mm-hmm. Just you and me now, sport. <laughs> That's what I always call my arch line, sport. Yeah. By the way, I said nasty little worm earlier. That's from Major Pain. I think he says filthy little beast, which, so I didn't want all my Major Pain fans to know, to, to know that I screwed up there. There are millions of us. Uh, anything else before I get into trivia? Anything? No. no. You, any admin no. stuff? Pap? Spoilers? Wait, yes or no's? Do we do those? Oh yeah, yes or no's. Yeah, yeah. Go, go for it. Uh, we'll go the opposite way. I'll say yes. I thought some uh, song choices were a little goofy for the moment, but overall, I do like the soundtrack. I think the soundtrack is pretty cool. The synth stuff is great. I love the way it looks. Great '80s Michael Mann look and pretty gritty. I was just shocked that this was a, a Hannibal movie going into it. Uh, that just threw me for a loop, but it's cool. I just want to see Red Dragon and then compare the two, but uh, it's a yes for me. Hard yes for me. Thank you once again, Zach, for being a patron. Good pick, too, by the way. I I kind of want to do a lot more Michael Mann movies on this podcast after this in Thief. Um, yeah, I, I didn't mean to come across as nitpicky. Uh, this is like a hard, hard yes for me and i i don't normally like true crime serial killer type stuff oh. but what i think it's done well oh. I, I think this is like done exceptionally well and this is a very artsy movie too like I, like some of the like the lighting choices and maybe that's unfair of me to criticize some of the plot points when i said like at one point hannibal has like a purple light glowing in his sink you know what i mean i mean that's not real life so I, I think this movie is really interesting to look at. I, I think I may have even liked the score a little bit more than Mikey too. Like it's definitely weird and it's definitely like of a certain time, but I think it's, I don't know, artistic in that sense and a little bit abstract. Like it, this movie wasn't going to be the movie that silence of the lambs was right. Where it's like bringing this kind of story and these characters to like a mass audience. But I like it 
almost as much as Silence of the Lambs. That's one of my favorite movies of all time. I kind of want to watch Hannibal now. I'm kind of like catching the fever of this universe a little bit. Um, but hard yes. The movie? No, Hannibal? the the show. show? Yeah. Oh, okay. I was going to say that Hannibal the movie is pretty bad. Yeah, I don't know about that. Josh from Goshen here. I forced us to linger on that opening shot. And I think we got our shots in, like our jabs in on that. But beyond that, this movie has so many cool visuals that made me think of movies to come that hadn't been made yet. And just, I I think it's influential in its own way. And also, I love all the comparisons to Thief. And in fact, the Thief connection and just how great of a pick this is for spoilers Mm -hmm. makes this one of the most flattering picks i think we've received from a patreon so far um i feel like this person really gets us with this pick (laughs) um so not only is this a yes for this movie it's also a yes for this patron this patreon saint zach and it's also a yes for martin supermarkets you got to try their chocolate ice cream, the gallon. Mm. It's not that expensive. It's really good. Chicken tenders. A Spartan mm. brand. <laughs> they just have everything you need at one stop. It's amazing. All right, enough of this free advertising. Yeah, but fuck the product placement in this movie. Josh, did you say yes or no? Yeah, huge yes oh, okay. to all three of those things. Do you want me to recap the three things? <laughs> no, 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 no. It's the movie, it's the Patreon saint, it's the Martins. Play the jingle. <laughs> no. <laughs> Ow. So, yeah, this is Brett. This is a hard yes for me. Um, I mentioned earlier, I probably prefer Red Dragon just because I think uh, the performance is better by... Ed, Ed Norton. Ed Norton? Yeah. So that's pretty much it. I mean, there's a little more Hannibal, so it's, I don't know, it seems like everything that Mikey wanted in this movie, there's more of that in Red Dragon, so, uh, but this was awesome, and I've now seen, like, four Michael Mann movies, and he's pretty awesome, so, uh, I won't say, I've talked enough, uh, hard yes for me. Wait, Red Dragon or this? Which would you like more? I like Red Dragon probably a little more. This is probably a better movie than Red Dragon, but I like Red Dragon a little more. That's four for four, Zach. You uh, chose a good movie here that's preserved, so that's going to be like a fresh... I don't know, like a fresh bicep that Hannibal would gnaw on. I don't, I don't know. There lips, wasn't a whole lot of food like in this movie. What? so Lips. Fresh pair of lips. Fresh pair of lips. Folgers coffee. You like that, Dad. Some JFG brown goop in a jar. But I got a, I got a trivia here. It's just a real quick one. And it's music-based because yes. uh, mm. Zach was so interested in the soundtracks. Um, so uh, William Peterson is not only the star of Manhunt, but he's also had a long career on the CSI show Crime Scene Investigation. CSI, CSI Crime Scene Investigation. Uh, the opening theme, Who Are You, performed by The Who, reached what peak position on the U.S. Billboard Hot 100? So we'll just go closest to uh, for that real quick. Uh, this is, the order doesn't really matter because 
this is the Patreon, so nobody's choosing a movie here, so we'll just go uh, east. Uh, we'll go east to east this time. All right. This is who are you? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Tell me who the f- are you? I really want to know. Um, I don't think it was. You said Billboard US, right? US Billboard Hot 100. What was its peak position? Yeah, the 100. That's the big one. We'll say 11. All right. Josh? Oh, man. Pete Townsend and the gang. This is used to be one of my favorite classic rock outfits. Brett, you were just um, mentioning it a second ago, but you you like censor yourself because you don't allow yourself to curse. Yeah. But I, I don't know if people know this, but yes. deep in this Who song, they actually go, Who the fuck are you? Yeah. Sometimes they play it's, it on the radio, kind of, too. It's yeah, back right? in the day, yeah. it would sneak in. And so. You know I self edit, Josh. I, yeah, but I don't think everyone else knows <laughs> it. So it needs like a little explainer section. Put it in the pod. I'll say, you said 11. Mm-hmm. That's, that's not that great. I'll say six. I said put it in the pod, but I'm guessing the who probably is probably don't want to have any. Because that'll probably get flagged. Maybe we can get like a YouTube cover version. Like someone playing acoustic guitar of the who. And we'll put that Post Malone. Yeah, I think I think Pappy could find a couple good different Pappy. remixes. Whoa, whoa, whoa. <laughs> I'm gonna go with the number that popped in my head originally. They were I think they were pretty big commercial band as well, so I'm gonna go with three. But makes me wonder if it like wasn't. But we'll find out. The answer is the peak for Who Are You on the bill, U.S. Billboard Hot 100 is 14. Let's go. So Pap is oh. the winner. Pap will get to take us out to Spoiler Man uh, when this podcast ends right now. Pap, take us out. All right. Uh, first of all, I just want to say thank you again to Zach. And with my little minute in the winner circle, I want to say the early word is I was very wrong about avatar uh i said it wasn't gonna be a hit or good i think it's gonna be uh, big time both i re- recant that i am saying this before i've seen avatar but you don't like that i'm, I'm saw, making amends you, Josh. you read matt neglia's tweet and you flip-flopped on this the whole thing you do what you want listen the caveman Earlier. has good movie takes if he <laughs> oh, stole god. that take from the best critics in the world <laughs> oh god <laughs> i don't like where you're going with this, pap you seem a little obsessed Honestly, no. It's going to be the biggest movie of the year. Yeah, I don't. I think Brittany and I are actually so. going to sneak out. We're actually going to sneak out of the house and make a public appearance to watch that movie in theaters because I mean it's going to be amazing. I think so. Did you guys know that they use CGI to make the water? Took them thirteen Why years. Did you you know? flip flop. You used to be pro. <laughs> I'm not. I, I'm admitting my my turn here. I need a hair sex scene, or I'm going to give it a zero out of yeah. five on Letterboxd. I agree. They need to touch their nerves together. Underwater, too. We're going to get all of that and more. And we're going to cover it on this podcast. Thank you again, Zach. That was Spoilers. Take it away, Spoiler Man.
special thank you to our patrons. Matt Troll. Or maybe impotent with members of the opposite sex. Brother Brian. That's the same atrocious aftershave you wore in court three years ago. Druid King. He used a bolt cutter to trim away the branch when he was watching from the woods. Nick. Dust misses leads, finger and toenails, and the corneas of all their eyes. The Meg. Leeds dog doesn't have a collar, but you know it's the Leeds dog, don't you, my man? David. But after my body got okay, I still had his thoughts. Nurse Stacy. I don't tear out the articles. I wouldn't want them to think I was dwelling on anything more than that. The Wolf. Oh, oh, oh! Didn't you really feel so bad because killing him felt so good? And why shouldn't it feel good? Barky 420. Oh, I'm shooting from maybe eight feet. I, I can't use any lights. Okay, let's being photographed. Davey Kerr. You got the message electric call. Total movie recall. Guaranteed one shot stop. PK. So someone's outside. Spencer. Our lecturer was attacking college girls, and he killed them. How? In bad ways. If you'd like to request an episode, hear your name read by Spoiler Man, or even just help us make podcasts, please check us out on patreon.com slash spoilers podcast. Our email is podcastspoilers at gmail.com. Twitter is at spoilers underscore pod. Our Instagram is podcast spoilers. It's lit. Josh Hensley from the Rutabaga wrote our theme song. That was spoilers.